The opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Murderish podcast. Sensitive topics are discussed. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, Ishers, it's Jamie. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Murderish. This episode was made possible by Mott & Bow, Beta Brand, and Kino Skincare. Before we get into this case, I want to say thank you to Bob and Cindy Biltz, Lisa Himes, and Jackie Hutchinson, my most recent Patreon supporters. Thanks so much for your support, guys. It really helps me keep the show going. The case covered in this episode was suggested by Jessica Tubbs. Jessica was a close friend of the murderer's daughter. You'll hear from Jessica throughout the episode as she gives her first-hand account and insight into the people involved. Thank you, Jessica, for bringing this case to my attention and taking time to chat with me about it. This case brings us to the east coast of the United States, to the state of New Jersey. When the battered and cold body of Father Ed Hines was discovered on the floor of the church rectory covered in blood, nobody had a clue who could have killed him or why. The community would quickly learn who brutally murdered the Catholic priest, but jurors would have to decide whether the murderer snapped in a fit of rage over the priest's actions or if the murder was motivated by the need to cover up a 20-year-old secret. Join me as I walk you through the murder of Father Ed Hines. 911, where's your emergency? 81, Washington Avenue. Washington Avenue? Hello? 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 Oh. Sir, this is the state police. You called 911. Do you have an emergency? No, you don't. Thank you. No? Hello, no. Thank you. All right. On the evening of October 22, 2009, a 911 call came in to the New Jersey State Police. A man's voice was on the other end. He asked for help and tried to give the operator an address, saying Washington Avenue. There is static, and then a cry for help from the man. He sounds faint and out of breath. The line went dead after that. A woman with the New Jersey State Police called the phone number back, but the call went straight to voicemail. She called the number again, and this time, a man picked up the call. The woman asked the man if he had an emergency, but the man said to her, No, we don't. Thank you. Then, another man's voice is heard in the background saying, Yes, we do, indicating there was an emergency. The first man then says no thank you again and hangs up. No police were dispatched to the scene after that. As it turned out, those phone conversations occurred just moments before a Catholic priest was brutally murdered. The two men heard by the 911 operator were the victim and his murderer. Chatham, New Jersey, a borough in Morris County on the east coast of the U.S., is known as one of the better places to live in New Jersey. 
It's a place where prehistoric animals once roamed. Today, Chatham offers highly rated public schools and an abundance of restaurants and parks. Families are drawn to plant roots in the small, upper-class, safe town. The town is somewhat of a bubble, where everyone knows each other in one way or another. Interestingly, before Chatham was formed, the land the borough sits on now was almost 160 feet under the surface of Lake Passaic. As Lake Passaic drained into the sea due to a melted ice cap, the land turned into a place that was habitable. Today, Chatham boasts a low crime rate and an ideal environment to raise a family. Murders are very rare in that part of New Jersey, but in 2009, the small town would be rocked by a brutal crime. On Friday, October 23rd of 2009, 61-year-old Roman Catholic priest Father Edward Hines, known as Father Ed, was supposed to appear at 8 a.m. Mass. But that morning, he was a no-show. Jessica said she was sitting in Mass that morning waiting for the priest's arrival. When Father Ed didn't show up, they canceled Mass, something that had never happened before. Father Ed's absence concerned a deacon of the church, who then went to the church's janitor, 64-year-old Jose Feliciano. He knew Feliciano would have a key to the adjoining rectory where Father Ed lived at St. Patrick's Roman Catholic Church. Feliciano retrieved the key and walked over to the rectory, along with the deacon. At 8.03 a.m., Feliciano opened the door, and the two men saw Father Ed on the floor of his kitchen. Blood was everywhere. Wearing his clerical robes, it was apparent that Father Ed was not alive. His body was cold and rigor mortis had set in. It appeared he had been brewing a cup of coffee at the time he was murdered. An autopsy later determined that Father Ed had been stabbed 44 times. His injuries included cuts and stabs to the upper body and head, and it was obvious he had put up a fight before succumbing to his injuries. There were defensive wounds on his face and hands. About 30 minutes after discovering Father Ed's lifeless body, Jose Feliciano, the church janitor, passed out on a flight of stairs at the church. He was rushed to a nearby hospital. The deacons and the church janitor's gruesome discovery may not have occurred if not for the actions or inaction of the 911 operator. Many people questioned why the operator hadn't dispatched police after the 911 call came in. During the call, Father Ed sounded like he was in distress and he was asking for help. After calling the number back, the operator was told by a different man that no help was needed. Perhaps this was the reason the operator didn't dispatch police. If she had, would Father Ed have lived? An investigation into the matter would be opened, with the state authorities looking into whether the operator followed proper protocol that evening. The news of Father Ed's death spread quickly in the small town. Flowers and candles filled the outside of Father Ed's house the day after his body was discovered. A priest for four decades, Father Ed had been with St. Patrick's Roman Catholic Church for ten years. The yellow crime scene tape adorning the church, rectory school, and parking lots made the tragedy more real for the grieving congregation. Monsignor Kenneth Lausch, a retired priest and close friend of Father Ed's, said he was completely committed to the priesthood. Lausch described his friend as a very sensitive, kind, and strong man who was concerned about doing the right things for his parish. Jessica, 
who was a member of the church and attended the parish school from preschool to eighth grade, said Father Ed interacted better with adults than he did with children. Perhaps his only draw for children was his dog, who was often with him as he walked the church grounds. What can you tell me, if anything, about Father Ed, the kind of person he was, his personality, anything like that? He was always around. You'd see him anywhere that you went, but he was definitely not as kid-friendly as he was adult-friendly. Okay. My parents had had him over for dinner several times, and he would try his hardest, I think, but definitely got along more with adults. He was kind of bland, I think. Was he kind of just awkward, like didn't know how to deal with kids type of thing? Yeah, he was a little He was just very serious. After Father Ed's body was discovered, there weren't any immediate names being thrown out as possible suspects. Nobody could imagine who would kill the quiet priest. When police arrived at the crime scene, they knew Father Ed was dead. Even so, police observed Feliciano attempting to perform CPR on Father Ed. The two had known each other for 17 years. After a few seconds, Feliciano stopped doing CPR and said there's nothing we can do. Officers said Feliciano was weeping and extremely emotional on the scene. His behavior made them suspicious. They said it appeared he was half-heartedly performing CPR on Father Ed, as if he was just doing it for show. Two detectives from the Morris County Prosecutor's Office visited Feliciano in the hospital where he was admitted after fainting. During their visit, detectives noticed a small cut on Feliciano's left hand. Detectives said Feliciano was crying excessively as they questioned him. Going off of Feliciano's odd behavior at the crime scene and in the hospital, officers decided to keep tabs on the church janitor. They put him under surveillance, hoping to glean some useful information for their investigation. Detectives with the prosecutor's office continued their investigation, requesting Father Ed's detailed cell phone records from Verizon's law enforcement resource team. The records requested were for all incoming and outgoing calls on October 22nd and 23rd of 2009. An hour after their request, detailed call records were in detectives' hands. Included in the call records were all of the back-and-forth calls between Father Ed's phone and the New Jersey State Police 911 call center on October 22nd. Records showed the initial 911 call from Father Ed's phone came in at 5.26 p.m. The records also revealed that a call was made on Father Ed's cell phone at 6.54 p.m., about an hour and a half after the first call to 911. Presumably, Father Ed was already dead at the time of this call. The 6.54 p.m. call was followed by numerous outgoing calls from Father Ed's phone, with the last call going out at 10.59 p.m. The later calls pinged a cell phone tower in Easton, Pennsylvania, where Jose Feliciano lived. Judith Conk, a close friend of Father Ed's, would later say that she received three calls from Father Ed's phone between 10.52 and 11.30 p.m. the night he was killed. Conk said she answered the calls, but nobody spoke on the other end. Investigators would quickly get a huge break in the case when they were able to track Father Ed's cell phone location. On the evening of the day Father Ed's body was discovered, investigators received information that Father Ed's cell phone was throwing off a signal in Easton, Pennsylvania. 
about 55 miles away from the crime scene in Chatham. More specifically, the phone was producing a signal from a baseball field right across the street from Jose Feliciano's house. During a search of the ball field, inside a trash can, officers found a bag of clothing with a red substance on it, blood-stained rags, and paper towels. The following day, officers conducted another search in a wooded area near the ballpark, and there, they recovered a knife and pieces of Father Ed's cell phone. Prior to arriving at the baseball park, investigators discovered that one employee at the church lived in Easton. Jose Feliciano, whom they already had under surveillance, was the only church employee who lived in the town where Father Ed's cell phone was recovered. A warrant was obtained by the Easton Police Department, which allowed them to conduct a search of Feliciano's residence at 151 Ann Street on the south side of Easton. Officers in plain clothes searched his home and others guarded the front door. During their search, blood was detected in some of the sinks inside Feliciano's home. With all of the evidence investigators uncovered, they were ready to make an arrest. I'm such a jeans and t-shirt kind of girl. I once asked a friend if I could slap some sequins on my jeans and call them formal enough to wear to her wedding. Shockingly, that didn't go over in my favor. The point is, I know a great pair of jeans when I find them, so let me tell you about my newest jeans obsession. Mott & Bow is a kick-ass jeans company that makes high-quality jeans in their own factory. And let me tell you, these jeans rock. I just got my second pair, and this time I went with Mott & Bow's high-rise skinny bond jeans with slits over each knee. I rocked these jeans recently on a date night out with my husband. I paired them with my favorite band t-shirt and some stilettos, and I felt like a million bucks. Ladies, you know how a high-end pair of yoga pants suck you in in all the right places? Yeah, that's what Mott & Bow jeans do, and they're comfortable at the same time. These jeans keep their shape for days without washing. Mott & Bow offers different styles and colors of jeans for women and men at such a fair price. If you're unsure of which size to order, take advantage of Mott & Bow's home try-on program. Order two pairs of jeans, only pay for one, then return the pair that doesn't fit using the prepaid return label. Trust me, I am a total jeans snob, and these have become my new favorite. If you're ready to rock jeans that hug you in all the right places, go to mottenbow.com and use promo code MURDERISH for 15% off for first-time buyers. That's M-O-T-T-A-N-D-B-O-W.com and use code MURDERISH for 15% off. Two days after the brutal murder, on a Saturday afternoon, police arrested 64-year-old Jose Feliciano. He was charged with the first-degree murder of Father Edward Hines, and his bail was set at a million dollars. Morris County Prosecutor Robert Bianchi said during a press conference that Feliciano had used a fake ID and fake names to avoid exposing an arrest warrant issued two decades earlier in Philadelphia. The arrest warrant was for indecent assault on a minor. Documentation had been uncovered during the investigation showing that Father Ed became aware of Feliciano's previous charges and that he had discussions about firing Feliciano with a St. Patrick School official just one day before he was murdered. During their discussion, Father Ed mentioned something about an irregularity in Feliciano's personnel file, something regarding a criminal background check. 
Bianchi said during the press conference that the murder occurred after Father Ed and Feliciano had an argument. He stopped short of saying what the argument was about. Investigators wouldn't have to wait long before finding out what happened, or at least Jose Feliciano's version of what happened the day of the murder. From his hospital bed, Feliciano told investigators that around 5 p.m., he and Father Ed were arguing in the rectory. During their argument, Feliciano said he saw a knife, walked into the kitchen, grabbed the knife, and began stabbing the priest. After killing Father Ed, Feliciano used rags and paper towels to clean up the blood. He took Father Ed's cell phone and all of the rags he used to clean the crime scene. Feliciano said he was then picked up from the church by his wife and his daughter, and they drove home. He said he didn't reveal what happened to his family. When they arrived home in Easton, Feliciano said he disposed of the bloody rags in a trash can at a park near his house. He said he destroyed Father Ed's cell phone and threw away the murder weapon. Although a lot was revealed during Feliciano's interrogation, much more would be revealed during trial. I've got your next podcast binge, so get your subscribe trigger finger ready. Moms and Murder is a true crime podcast hosted by my friends, Mandy and Melissa, two of the most relatable moms who know how to deliver a true crime story. Each week, the moms respectfully give their take on a fascinating crime story with the perfect balance of levity and case facts. If you prefer to consume true crime, light on the gore, and want to feel like you're part of the conversation, then you should subscribe to Moms and Murder. You'll feel right at home listening to Mandy and Melissa, and somehow they've found a way to make chickens, Diet Coke, reality TV, and murder go together. Weird, but true, and strangely endearing. Don't take my word for it. Check it out for yourself by searching Moms and Murder in your favorite podcast app. Hit subscribe while you're there. Happy binging. A janitor at St. Patrick's Roman Catholic Church for 17 years, Jose Feliciano lived in a split-level home in Easton with his wife and their two children, a high school-aged son and a daughter who attended middle school in the basement of the church where her father worked. Neighbors said Feliciano and his family mostly kept to themselves. Jessica, a close friend of Feliciano's daughter, described the accused murderer as a very kind man who she felt safe around a man who often told jokes and someone nobody would ever expect of committing such a brutal crime. We spoke about how she came to know Feliciano and his family. So his daughters and I were the same age, and we had been going to school together since we were in preschool. And that whole entire time, preschool through eighth grade, Jose was the janitor Mm -hmm. at St. Pat's, but since it was such a small community, a lot of people kind of doubled as different roles. Mm -hmm. And so Jose was the janitor and he would hand out milk at lunch and he would sometimes monitor recess. So he was all around all the time. And then just from being in preschool with and everything, we became friends and my mom would drop me off at their house. It was right next to the school and there was never any red flags about Jose. He was the kindest man. He would hand out milk. He would make jokes. He'd always sing songs when he was doing stuff. Just Uh really chipper, happy, easygoing. And anybody who knew him would say the same thing. Two years after Father Ed was murdered, Jose Feliciano went on trial in November of 2011, 
with Judge Thomas V. Monahan presiding. In the case of State of New Jersey versus Jose Feliciano, Prosecutor Bianchi told the jury that Feliciano murdered Father Ed and then tried to cover it up. He said Feliciano was afraid of being fired and having his criminal past exposed. Bianchi said that Father Ed had learned of Feliciano's sexual criminal charges two weeks before he was murdered. Prosecutors pointed out that Feliciano was wanted on criminal charges in Philadelphia, dating all the way back to 1988. He was a fugitive, wanted on charges of indecent assault on a seven-year-old girl and corrupting the morals of a minor. The charges, according to the prosecution, were uncovered during an audit the Diocese of Patterson was conducting at the church where Feliciano worked. The purpose of the audit was to make sure criminal background checks had been processed for all church employees who came into contact with children. Father Ed decided to look into Feliciano's background himself after he learned that his fingerprint card hadn't been returned to the state police, which was a requirement. That's when Father Ed uncovered Feliciano's past criminal charges and began taking steps to fire him. The priest had no way of knowing these actions would ultimately lead to his untimely death. Dr. Ronald Suarez, the medical examiner who performed an autopsy on Father Ed the day his body was discovered, testified during trial. He said that six of the stab wounds Father Ed sustained were immediately life-threatening. One of the wounds to Father Ed's neck was so deep, it fractured a portion of his windpipe, which would have made talking and breathing difficult. Dr. Suarez also testified that the more serious stab wounds would have caused a quick death, most likely within minutes, due to loss of blood. Dr. Suarez said on the stand that Father Ed also sustained several broken ribs during the attack. The parish business administrator, Virginia Donnellan, took the witness stand for the prosecution. Donnellan testified that she recognized Father Ed's voice on the initial 911 call that came in the evening he was murdered. She also testified that she recognized the second voice, the one that was heard telling the 911 operator there was no emergency. Donnellan said the second voice was that of Jose Feliciano. Feliciano's defense shocked and angered many church members. The defense claimed that in 2004, Father Ed began blackmailing Feliciano into a sexual relationship. Public defender Neil Hamilton claimed that the killing of Father Ed was in the heat of passion and not a calculated murder. The jury didn't have to hear a secondhand account of what allegedly happened that awful evening. They would get to hear it directly from the defendant's mouth. Ladies, how much do you spend dry cleaning the dress pants you wear to work? How much time do you spend ironing those pants? Let me introduce you to Beta Brand Dress Pant Yoga Pants, the most amazing wrinkle-free and machine-washable pair of work pants you will ever wear. The name says it all. Your workday and weekend attire worlds just collided. Beta Brand's Dress Pant Yoga Pants are the most comfortable, sleek, and stylish pants I have ever worn to work. They're made with a four-way ponte stretch, and they're like your favorite yoga pant but on steroids. Beta Brand's pants are made with a thicker, more durable material than yoga pants, but they feel just as comfy. Genius, right? I've been wearing the Skinny Leg Cigarette Dress Pant Yoga Pant, and I am loving them. The fit is perfect, they keep their shape all day, and I can move around in them without worrying that I'm going to split a seam. 
They really are the best of both worlds. Stylish and work-appropriate, but they feel like a comfy yoga pant. The regular dress pants I've always worn are uncomfortable, they wrinkle easy, and require annoying trips to the dry cleaner. I've rocked my dress pant yoga pants with heels, flats, and even flip-flops. They're so versatile. Beta Brand has tons of styles and colors to choose from. There's really something for everyone. Ladies, get yourself a pair of Beta Brand dress pant yoga pants, kick your legs up on the conference room table, and stretch out like a boss during your next meeting. Okay, maybe don't do that because you'll probably get canned. But the point is, you can stretch out in these pants. They are amazing. Are you ready to ditch your old school dress pants and upgrade like I did? Visit betabrand.com slash murderish, all lowercase, to get 20% off your purchase. That's betabrand.com slash murderish, all lowercase. Millions of women agree these are the most comfortable pants you'll ever wear to work. Visit betabrand.com slash murderish, all lowercase, to get 20% off your dress pant yoga pants. In a move rarely seen in criminal court, Jose Feliciano took the stand in his own defense. The now 66-year-old defendant was unemotional as he delivered his testimony, often gazing downward as he spoke. On the stand, Feliciano claimed to have snapped under the pressure of threats from Father Ed. He said that on October 22nd, he told Father Ed he was ending their relationship. Feliciano said Father Ed responded by saying that his job would end if the relationship ended. That's when, according to Feliciano, he got angry and a fight between the two men ensued. He admitted on the stand that he stabbed Father Ed a lot in the chest and that Father Ed fell and hit his head hard during the struggle. During testimony that surely made people in the courtroom uncomfortable, Feliciano said that Father Ed touched him inappropriately in the rectory of the church where the priest lived. He said this was the first time Father Ed had done that to him. The second time, he said, also happened in the rectory. That time, Feliciano said Father Ed grabbed him and caused physical pain. The abuse also happened in the church's middle school and in the parish office, according to the defendant. Feliciano's testimony was graphic at times, as he described the priest's alleged sexual abuse. He said on the stand that Father Ed grabbed his genitals, masturbated him, and performed oral sex on him for several years. He said in March of 2004, Father Ed asked to know more about Feliciano's previous criminal charges. According to Feliciano, he told the priest about the charges during confession. He said Father Ed reacted by asking Feliciano to move out of the house located right next door to the church where he and his family had been living. That, according to Feliciano, prompted him to move his family to Easton, Pennsylvania, where they resided during the time Father Ed was killed. Feliciano claimed that after he was asked to move, Father Ed called him into the rectory and asked him how he was doing in Easton. He said the priest then put his hands on his lap, saying he went and grabbed my privacy. Feliciano said his rage grew after he learned that Father Ed was planning to fire him because according to him, the priest made a commitment to him, promising to keep him employed until retirement, despite his previous criminal charges. Feliciano said on the stand, When Father Ed and I started to argue, I heard a voice say, Do it now, do it now, now, now. 
I did not hear the words stab him. I did not hear the words kill him. The voice said, just do it. Father Hines and I continued struggling. I forgot about everything else. I lost it. Come back. So I, I, I walked around and I just went back to the rectory again to continue talking to me. He told me that's to come. He told me you have to come back to finish this, this conversation that we're having. So I went back and we started talking again. And the conversation got very heated. I, I, I just lost it. I just got so angry when I, I took a knife and I threw the knife at the table. That day, he picked it up. When he picked it up, I took it away from him and I sliced him in the hand, I believe. Just slice. And I said, you see this, Father? And he said, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to You ain't going to hurt me. You're not going to hurt nobody. You go and tell Maris. Go and tell Maris. And I just started crying and crying and crying. And I just closed my eyes and I just heard something say, just do it. And I just do it. Just do it. Just do it. And I just went crazy. Crazy. And I approached him. So when I approached him, I stabbed him. And then that's when I lost it. And I... We, I know that we roll all over. I know that we roll all over the kitchen because I feel it, but I don't remember doing anything. Just rolling, just rolling and rolling. I was, I went crazy. After being asked by Bianchi if similar abuse had ever happened to him before, Feliciano claimed to have been abused by another priest at the age of nine while he was getting ready for his first communion. Although he claimed not to remember the name of the priest, he did recall that the alleged abuse happened at a church in Brooklyn. Feliciano said, It happened when I was a child. It happened several times. Then I told my grandmother. He also claimed that in 2003, he told a St. Patrick Church employee named Maris Barrett about the childhood sexual abuse. Barrett, however, testified at trial that she was never made aware of any sexual abuse inflicted on Feliciano. Feliciano said he also made Father Ed aware of his previous sexual abuse. The prosecution told the jury that Feliciano made up the stories of sexual abuse. Bianchi affirmed the prosecution's theory that the defendant plotted to kill Father Ed after he became aware that the priest knew about his previous criminal charges and was going to fire him. During cross-exam, Bianchi questioned Feliciano regarding the number of times Father Hines had groped him, saying to Feliciano, that's not something you're likely to forget. Bianchi also sought to catch Feliciano in lies he had apparently told to law enforcement and medical professionals. During an interrogation, Feliciano told Captain Jeffrey Paul that Father Ed had always abused him in the rectory. On the witness stand, however, Feliciano named the church's middle school and office as locations where the priest abused him. In response, Feliciano said, In the beginning, I was lying. And then I began to tell him things. And the reason I was lying is because I didn't want him to know. During his interrogation, Feliciano told Captain Paul, I'm guilty of it. I'm confessing to you. He also said he didn't want to go through trial he said to Captain Paul to put him away like an animal. Captain Paul's initial interrogation of Feliciano 
took place the day after Father Hines was found dead. The interrogation took place while the then primary suspect was admitted to Morristown Memorial Hospital after fainting on a staircase at the church. At the time he passed out, people thought maybe Feliciano was dehydrated or overwhelmed with stress after discovering Father Ed's body. Nobody connected his fainting to Father Ed's murder in a way that made them suspicious of Feliciano. The interrogation of Feliciano was videotaped. The video captured Feliciano's confession to the murder, which he denied in the beginning of his conversation with Captain Paul. During trial, Bianchi capitalized on this. He called Feliciano out for lying under oath, referring to him denying involvement in the murder at first. Bianchi said to Feliciano, you lied under oath. Under direct examination, defense attorney Balin Badwin brought up the fact that Feliciano cleaned up the crime scene and hid evidence. Feliciano responded by saying he didn't want anybody to know what he had done. He said when his wife and daughter picked him up from work the day of the murder, he laid down in the family vehicle while she drove. As soon as he got home, he said he showered and washed his clothes. He then threw away the evidence he took from the crime scene. Before he washed his clothes, Feliciano said his wife asked him about the red color on his clothes. Feliciano told her it was just paint. Feliciano said on the stand, I couldn't tell my wife and my daughter what I had done. I didn't want nobody to know. Although Feliciano's family was pretty tight-lipped after the murder, his daughter did share with Jessica a few details about the evening she and her mom picked him up from work. This is the one thing that did talk about. She said that he went and put it all in the trunk of the car and got into the front seat and acted as if nothing was wrong. Feliciano said on the stand that Father Ed held his past criminal charges over his head as a threat in case he considered telling anybody about the abuse. He said he allowed the priest to continue touching him because he was afraid of losing his job. When Father Ed finally decided to fire Feliciano, the timing could not have been worse, according to the defendant. Feliciano said the day Father Ed called him into the rectory and fired him, was just five months before he was slated to retire. Feliciano said, All this time he's been using me, and now he's saying I have to go. I told him, You promised me. We got into a very heated argument and I pleaded with him not to do that to me. He said Father Ed then began belittling him, telling him he was like a child, crying and begging. At that moment, according to Feliciano's testimony, he noticed a steak knife sitting on a table in the kitchen. After picking up the knife, Feliciano said he just went crazy, repeatedly stabbing the priest all over his body. On December 22, 2011, after six weeks of trial, the Morris County jury was ready to deliver their verdict. The jury deliberated for five hours over a two-day span and ultimately found Jose Feliciano guilty on murder and felony murder charges. He was also found guilty on two counts of robbery, possession of a weapon for an unlawful purpose, unlawful possession of a weapon, and hindering apprehension. Feliciano faced a sentence of 30 years to life in prison. The convicted murderer wouldn't know his fate for four long months. Skincare is so important to me at this stage in my life, and I won't put just anything on my skin. 
I recently discovered Kino skincare and I am loving it. Let me tell you why. Kino skincare is thoughtful about what they put into their products using the highest quality, scientifically proven, natural ingredients. Kino Skincare's products contain 500 milligrams of CBD, which is rich in vitamins A, D, and E. Their products are also great for anti-aging, sensitive skin, and giving your skin an antioxidant boost. Kino Skincare has certifications to back up their products. They're certified to be non-toxic, carbon-free, sulfate-free, gluten-free, and vegan. And for all of you animal lovers out there, rest assured that Kino Skincare's products are also cruelty-free. Each ingredient was thoughtfully chosen by skincare experts for a specific reason, whether it's to stimulate collagen, to moisturize, or to declog pores. I live in Southern California, and I love laying out by the pool. I've been using Kino Skincare's body oil to nourish my skin after I've been in the sun, and I love their coconut mango lip balm. It is deliciously nourishing. Another reason I love Kino Skincare is that $1 from every order is donated to Sustainable Coastlines Hawaii. If you're ready to start nourishing your skin and reaping all of the amazing benefits that come along with it, I've got a special offer for you. Listeners of Murderish can get 20% off their order by going to shopkino.com and using promo code MURDERISH at checkout. That's shopkino.com and use promo code MURDERISH at checkout. Dressed in a yellow jail uniform, Feliciano entered a packed Morris County Superior courtroom on April 20th of 2012, two and a half years after he stabbed Father Ed to death. He was wearing big black eyeglasses, as he always did. He seemed a bit out of it, looking away as some of the victim's family members and friends gave their victim impact statements. Father Ed's family and friends spoke for over an hour with most saying they didn't understand how Feliciano could have betrayed a man who provided him with employment. They couldn't understand how he could also turn on a congregation that embraced him and his family. Friends and family described Father Ed as a compassionate and forgiving man and a spiritual leader. Judith Conk and her husband, Richard, were friends of Father Ed's for four decades. Judith addressed the court, saying, Who will pick out the perfect book for me, as Ed did? Who will discuss how far the church has strayed from the teachings of Jesus, yet helped us stay on the path? Who will look at all the children at the beach and say thank God for celibacy? Who will share our sorrows, triumphs, and tragedies? This terrible loss will not go away. Longtime parishioner Balada Lowe said Father Ed was her spiritual guide and an ever-present force. Fighting back tears, Balada said, The lies our community was forced to hear throughout the trial were truly unthinkable. The world can be a cruel place. I know people learn that in life. But I do deeply resent the manner in which this lesson was imposed on us. Daniel Silas Miller, whose mother was Father Ed's closest living relative, was beyond angry as he addressed the court. He said, The disrespect I had to hear in this courtroom was untenable. Ed Hines was a good and decent man. To listen to him spoken about in that way was appalling. Prosecutor Robert Bianchi spoke with great emotion to the packed courtroom. As he looked intensely at Feliciano, Bianchi said Mr. Feliciano is a professional liar and fabricator with no respect for his family, his relatives, and the defenseless, helpless people just like Father Ed. 
Father Ed dies a martyr for protecting God's children, and the world's a better place because of it. Feliciano murdered a man, sought to destroy his reputation. He murdered a community. He murdered a parish, or tried to. Feliciano was shaking as Bianchi spoke. After victim impact statements and statements from Bianchi, Superior Court Judge Thomas Monahan was ready to hand down a sentence. Jose Feliciano, who mostly kept his eyes to the floor, was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, plus five years, a sentence Judge Monahan said he was required to impose. Although that was the required sentence, the judge said it gave him no pause. Judge Monahan said, It has nothing to do with the fact that Father Hines was a Catholic priest. This crime was heinous. His conduct was deceitful. The court would most certainly have sentenced him the same. The state of New Jersey had done away with the death penalty in 2007, making life without parole the most harsh sentence Feliciano could receive. Feliciano was sent to the New Jersey State Prison to serve his sentence. After the verdicts, outside the courtroom, the media was ready with microphones in hand. When a reporter asked Father Ed's close relative, Daniel Silas Miller, about Feliciano not offering an apology or making any statement, he said, Don't you think he said enough? I think he said enough. I think he showed exactly who he was and quite frankly, I don't want to hear another word out of his mouth ever again. He continued telling the reporter, Everything this man said was nothing but lies and a farce to save his own skin. It's a shame that this pig was able to take such a precious commodity from our community. Ed Hines was a good man. Hines' brother and parents have died and no members of his immediate family are left. I don't know if I'm happy. I just know justice has been served. Jury foreman Ray Klappel told a reporter the witnesses said it all. Klappel kept his comments very brief, and other jurors made no comments as they left the courthouse. Morris County Prosecutor Robert Bianchi said in a written statement, I am proud and honored to have been a part of a process to vindicate Father Hines' murder and the slander of his reputation, which obviously the jury soundly did not believe. I can think of no greater Christmas gift to Father Hines' soul and for those that loved and respected him that this conviction happens at Christmas time. Although Feliciano's attorney, Neil Hamilton, declined to comment after the verdicts, a spokesperson for his office said they were considering filing an appeal. In a written statement, the Diocese of Patterson offered these comments. The verdict declaring that Jose Feliciano was guilty of the murder of Father Edward Hines brings at least some closure to the grieving of his family, the parishioners of St. Patrick in Chatham, his friends, and the entire diocese. Father Hines suffered a brutal and painful death. We continue to pray for him that he enjoy the reward of being a great priest and shepherd of souls. The diocese thanks Robert Bianchi, the Morris County prosecutor, his staff, and all law enforcement officials who were part of the investigation and trial. They accomplished their work with honor, integrity, and diligence. Five years after his conviction, Jose Feliciano filed an appeal on the grounds that his punishment was cruel and unusual and that he didn't receive a fair trial. Feliciano, 71 years old at the time, 
contended that the trial court erred by allowing evidence regarding his previous charges in Philadelphia. In addition, he claimed the trial court erred by allowing testimony from a mental health worker and a pastoral psychotherapist stating his right to confidentiality was violated. The appeal also claimed that Morris County Prosecutor Robert Bianchi made inflammatory statements to the jury, including calling Feliciano narcissistic. A three-judge appellate panel denied Feliciano's appeal in a 70-page decision, stating that they found no merit in his arguments. The panel of judges found that Feliciano's prior arrest had relevance to the murder trial as the prosecution needed it in order to prove their theory of motive and to rebut the defense's theory that the killing was a crime of passion in reaction to an alleged sexual relationship. The panel said evidence pertaining to Feliciano's prior charges was essential in helping the jury understand Feliciano's motive for murdering Father Ed. Because the psychotherapist was not a licensed therapist or priest, the appellate decision held that she was not bound by victim counselor privilege or cleric penitent privilege. Therefore, the panel found no merit on Feliciano's argument regarding her testimony during trial. The psychotherapist testified during trial that Feliciano never made her aware of any abuse inflicted by Father Ed or any priest. The hospital mental health worker was also found by the appellate judges not to be bound by physician-patient privilege because she worked as a hospital admission screener and not in any licensed medical capacity. Feliciano's claim that his sentence was cruel and unusual was dismissed by the panel. A convicted person can be sentenced to life without parole if other aggravating circumstances exist. In Feliciano's case, the panel found that because he was found guilty of robbery during the murder and acting alone, the life sentence was appropriate. Regarding Bianchi's characterizations of Feliciano, the appellate panel agreed the prosecutor may have overreached with some of his personal statements he made about Feliciano. The panel indicated that although his characterizations of Feliciano may have been a bit over the top, his comments were not material to the point of reversing his conviction. The panel wrote this in their decision. We agree with defendant that some of the prosecutor's comments were unnecessary and exceeded the boundaries of permissible advocacy. However, in this case, given the length of the opening argument and the ensuing trial, we do not find these isolated comments about the state's witnesses or evidence substantially prejudice defendant's right to a fair trial. The prosecutor did not suggest any personal knowledge outside of the record, but instead referred repeatedly to the evidence that he would present at trial. We conclude that, when viewed in the context of the lengthy proceedings, these remarks by the prosecutor did not deprive defendant of a fair trial. Contrary to defendant's assertion, they were a fair comment on the overwhelming amount of evidence produced at trial. Today, Jose Feliciano resides in a prison cell in New Jersey State Prison. This will likely be where he spends the rest of his days. The former church janitor is in his early 70s now. After Feliciano's arrest and subsequent conviction for murder, his wife and children moved out of their home in eastern Pennsylvania. Jose's son is a graphic designer and now resides in New York. His daughter went on to graduate from Ithaca College 
and also resides in New York. Feliciano's family cut ties with him after the crime, and they are not in contact with him today. Jose Feliciano said he lost it after arguing with Father Ed. As a result, he also lost his freedom and his family, which is perhaps the most harsh form of punishment one could receive. Thanks again for joining me on this episode of Murderish. I'm interested in discussing this case with you. Head over to the Murderish Facebook discussion group where we can talk about this case with other like-minded people. You can also find me on Twitter at MurderishPod or on Instagram at MurderishPodcast. If you like the show, there are so many ways you can support it. You can start by hitting the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app and tell a friend about Murderish. You can leave the show a positive rating and review in iTunes, which helps other people discover Murderish easier. Buying products and services advertised on the show is another way to help. This episode was made possible by Mott & Bow, Beta Brand, and Kino Skincare. Make sure to use my special URL or promo code when you buy. Interested in extra Murderish perks? Go to patreon.com murderish where your monthly support will take you behind the mic and give you access to perks like exclusive bonus content, murderish t-shirts, stickers, a shout out on the podcast, and other cool stuff. Want to show the world you're not a murderer, just murder-ish? Check out my online merch store at murderishpodcast.threadless.com. I have t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other things available. Email any comments or questions you have to murderishjamie at gmail.com. That's murderish, J-A-M-I, at gmail.com. Murderish is mixed and mastered by John Buchanis of Audio Editing Solutions. Music in this episode was composed by Nico of We Talk of Dreams. This episode was researched and written by me, with additional insight provided by Jessica Tubbs. As always, Ishers, thank you for joining me on another episode of Murderish. And remember... Listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer, it just means you're murder-ish. <laughs>